Follow as I read in 1 John chapter 2. We are today looking at verses 3 through 6. Now this we know that we know him. Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him, and he does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the, word, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. In this little epistle of 1 John, we've already seen some of the reasons that John is writing this epistle. He's writing it so the hearts of these people that he's writing to, these believers, that their hearts would be full of joy. He's writing these things to them and showing them that God is light and in him there is no darkness. We've seen that already in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he will talk about, I'm writing these things to you uh, so that you're not deceived, that you're not led astray by false teachers. And that's one of the reasons I'm writing to you, so that you're not deceived. And as we get to the end of the book, we have what I think is kind of an overarching reason for John writing this epistle And we read in chapter 5 and verse 13, and I've quoted this often, but it says this, these things, John says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John is writing as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is one who was sent out by Christ to speak for Christ. As we read the epistles, as we read 1 John, this is not just John speaking to us. This is Jesus Christ who speaks to us. And we need to understand it that way. It is Christ who is addressing his church through his apostle. And one of the things that Jesus wants for his church, for his people, is to know that they have eternal life, to have assurance. And I'm thankful for that. Jesus wants his sheep to know that they truly do belong to him. Now, how do they know that? Jesus wants us to have that assurance, but how does this come about? Well, John in his epistle is giving us a series of tests whereby we can know that we know him. There are three illuminating tests that we find here in John's epistle. Now, a lot of this is review these first few points this morning, but I thought it would be good to remind ourselves again. I've spoken about this, but I want to reiterate these things. So there are Tests that are given by John. We often need tests, don't we? Medical tests. If you're in school, you have finals. Um, Often you have to take your car to the mechanic and have tests done because something's not right. So tests are important. But there's no more important test than this. To know that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Son 
So John is giving us tests here. How do we know that we know him? And I think we could divide up 1 John into three categories. And there are three tests. One is the obedience test that we're going to look at this morning, or the moral test, we could say. The second one is the love test. We'll begin to look at that next week. And this is the social test. We are called to love one another. This will be a mark of God's children. And then there is the belief test. There are things that are believed by those who belong to Christ that are true and orthodox. And so we'll be looking at some of those. And these are kind of all woven in through the book of 1 John. They Commentators have a hard time trying to see a good outline of John. It just kind of weaves these things all together through the book. But we'll be looking at these illuminating tests. So, secondly, the justification for John's test. Why does John think, who does John think that he is to give us these tests? Well, again, he is speaking for Christ. And we find Jesus Christ himself doing similar things, don't we? When we... When we read the book of Matthew and we get to chapter 7, we hear Jesus telling his disciples, I want you to beware because out there you're going to run into false teachers, false prophets. They're going to be dressed up like sheep, but inside they're ravenous wolves. And how you know them, and Jesus speaks and he says, you will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. Every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruits. You don't gather grapes off of, uh, off of a thorn bush, right? So you're going to know them by their fruits, what they teach you and how they live and the conduct of their life. And immediately following that, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And there will be many in the last day who will say unto me, Lord, Lord, and he will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Sad and solemn words that no one ever wants to hear in that day of judgment. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Now, they were busy doing religious things, but they were not connected to Christ. And so Jesus himself gives warnings, and uh, warnings to people to examine their hearts, examine their lives, to see if the saving grace of God is a reality in their life. Well, the apostles follow in the same vein as Jesus Christ. They do the very same thing. So when Paul gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 13, in verse 5, after he has admonished this church for many of their sins, unbelievable, unbelievable things that were going on in the church of Corinth, and He was calling them to repent, and he was confronting sin. But as he gets to the end of his letter, he says this. He gives a warning, and he says this. Examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you 
fail the tests and you are disqualified. So there's this warning that Paul gives to the church. There's a need to examine yourself. Look into your life. Do you see the things that John, I think, is speaking about here in this book? We also hear Peter doing the same thing. He tells believers that they're to be adding to their faith. They're to add to their faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And he says, if these things are yours and abounding, you will be fruitful. And then he says this, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Examine yourselves. Make sure of your call and your election. Again, by looking at one's life. And so this is not uncommon in the epistles. We find this often. And they are following in the footsteps of Jesus. So as we think about this, then we see um, some of the reasons for this. First of all, we see that it is Jesus who does this, but we also see the apostles do it. And then secondly, we see the reason this is something that can be done is because of what I call the salvific factor. And that is that salvation is going to produce fruits in the lives of those who are truly saved. We looked at last week, we talked about Matthew one twenty one, where Joseph is to name the baby Jesus, for he will what? He will save his people from their what? Sins, plural, from their sins. And there are many ways in which Jesus saves his people. He saves them from hell, but he's also saving them from the power of sin. Not just the guilt of sin, but the power of sin. He's saving them away from their sins. That's what this Jesus, this Savior, will do when he saves, saving them from their sins. He has purchased not only our salvation from hell, but he has purchased for us our sanctification. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ. That doesn't begin in heaven. That begins at conversion. God changes a heart and gives new affections, and gives new desires, and a new will, and a new way of thinking, and a new way of living, such that Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. He's different from what he was as a fallen son of Adam. He is new. He is different. She is different, living in different ways. Turn, if you will, to Titus, just back a few Several books. Titus chapter 2. And here we have the Apostle Paul speaking to this issue. that This grace of God that comes, that brings salvation. It has appeared to all kinds of men. Not just to the Jews, but to all, all men. And it's teaching us to deny. Verse 12. It's teaching us. This gospel is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, right in the midst of this age in which we are living, that we would live godly there, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, notice verse 14. 
who gave himself for us. Speaking to the church, speaking to believers. We saw last week that Jesus knew us. He knew us in a particular way, a loving way. And when he came, he laid down his life for his sheep. He he knew us and he gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. This is one of the reasons that Jesus died was to redeem us, to change us, to save us from our lawless deeds, and to purify us, to make, his, make us his own special people. Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.10, For by grace you are saved through faith. This is a gift from God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all of his grace. And then he says this, For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. The Father is working upon us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In them. God has purposed this. This is what God is doing in all that he receives, all that he belonged to him. So that when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 1, he says, I am giving thanks to God for all of you making mention of you in our prayers and remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. And then he says this, as I see these things in your life, as I see the fingerprints of grace upon your lives, he says this, I know, beloved brethren, your election of God. I know that God has chosen you from before the foundation of the world. I know that God has saved you, and I see the fruits of that in your lives. And so as we think of salvation, it is a salvation that doesn't just save us from hell. It is a salvation that is saving us unto holiness, unto God, to be set apart unto him, to be his people. The third thing is we think about why we can have assurance and these tests is the fatherly factor. Hebrews 12 tells us that as we go through our life that the father knows his children and he is chastening them and he is at work in their lives. Even as a father will discipline his children to bring them up to be godly or to be obedient The father is at work in the lives of his children. And every son that he receives, every daughter that he receives, he disciplines them for their good to bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying, that God does this for every one of his children. He is at work in them to bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So there's the fatherly fatherly factor. Can't say that too quickly. Um, And then there's the faith factor. James tells us, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith and he does not have works? Can faith or can that kind of faith save him? And, And the answer is no. That's a spurious faith. 
a true and a saving faith that is resting in Christ alone. And we believe that justification is by faith alone in Christ alone. But that faith that is alone trusting in Christ is never alone. It is always going to produce, James says, works that will be in keeping with that faith, that flow out of that faith. And so a saving faith is a, is a, is a, is a transformative faith. So we see these things as we look at the word of God. And so John is able to say, in light of these things, that we can know if these things are true of us, if we see the fingerprints of grace upon our life. Now, we need to see the importance of John's test here. Um, These really are really important for us. There are three kinds of assurance There is what we could say there is a false assurance. Many people that you will talk to would say, yeah, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And there are a lot of people who pay lip service to Jesus or the gospel or just say, yeah, I I know when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. They have a sense of assurance. But the Bible is clear that there is such a thing as a false assurance. There's a way that may seem right unto a man, but the end leads to destruction, Proverbs tells us. Jesus says to people of his day, religious leaders who were boasting, we are the seed of Abraham. They had an assurance. They had a false assurance. Jesus said, you're not the seed of Abraham. You're of your father, the devil. So there is such a thing as a false assurance But we see here in John, there is such a thing as a true and a legitimate assurance that we can say, yes, I know Christ. And it's all of his grace, but I see the fingerprints of grace upon my life. And so there is a a legitimate assurance. And that's what John, I think, is working toward as he writes this epistle. I want you to have this assurance. Jesus wants his sheep to know that. But then there is also what we could, we could say is an uncertain assurance. Someone who is truly a believer, but sometimes they waver or they're not really certain. And I dare say probably all of us maybe in our Christian journey we've had those times where we've wondered as we look at our life, am I really a believer? And so it's possible to have an uncertainty about this assurance But again, I think what John is doing, he's writing so that we can be certain that we do know him. If we truly belong to him, he wants us to have that assurance. And so it's vitally important as we think about that, as we go through 1 John, which one am I? Which one of these three would describe me? There's nothing, again, more important than this. So we come this morning to our text, and I've already spent a lot of our time here, but we want to look at these verses here, beginning at verse 3. Here is the test of obedience. John says now, verse 3, by this we know that we know him. By this we can know that we know him. That word know is going to be used 21 times in this little epistle. There are things that we can know, that we can be assured of. How can we have this assurance that we know him? 
how can we know this? Or how can we know, as other language in 1 John, that we abide in him, that we are in union with him, that we have fellowship with him? Well, you know, a lot of people think, well, 30 years ago I walked the aisle and I went forward in church. That's what my assurance is in because I, I, was, I went forward in church. Others might think, well, I was, in, I was at camp. I was at a Christian camp, and I went, I went up to the campfire, and I threw a stick in the fire, and I committed my life to Jesus Christ. That's what my assurance is based upon. That's not what John does. John doesn't look at something in the past. He's looking something in the present. This test of obedience. How do we know that we know him? One of the tests is that we, by the grace of God, are seeking to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are being obedient to him. And what he uses here as he writes this, if we keep his commandments, he uses the present tense. And as we go through the book of 1 John, this present tense is important because it's looking at the big picture of our life, not the snapshot, as we've talked about in weeks past, It's looking at the video of my life. What is the video of my life saying? Am I one who is seeking by the grace of God to keep the commandments, to walk in the truth of God's word, to be like Christ? But as we think about that, we know that Christ was sinless. John is not talking about sinless perfection here. We can only have assurance if we perfectly obey the commandments of Christ. If that's the case, no one will ever have assurance. But he's talking about the video of our life. What is the general tenure of our life? In the words, again, of John MacArthur, it's not about the perfection of our life, but it is about the direction of our life, that we are seeking to walk in obedience. We are seeking to submit to the authority of Christ And his word, to keep his commandments. The word keep here is a word that means to attend carefully to something, to observe it carefully, to hold on to it, to guard something. It's used of the guards who guarded Jesus, the soldiers. They kept an eye on him. They weren't careless in that job. They were guarding him. And this is what John says, that we are seeking to guard and keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ, be faithful to the word of God. It's not something that's just kind of haphazard. It's not something that is just for super Christians, but it is for everyone who is a true believer that they're going to be mindful and seeking to know more of the commands of Christ, the word of God, and live in subjection to it. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed, by taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Thy word I have hidden in my heart. You see, here is effort that is being made. Lord, I want your word in my heart because I don't want to sin against you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. This is how love to Christ is shown. And if we're not keeping 
the commandments and we're not seeking to be obedient to Christ, then we're not really loving Christ, are we? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will tend to this. Listen to these words. I think I mentioned these last week from John 10. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for his sheep. And he says this, I know my sheep. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus knows you. If you belong to him, he knows you intimately. He knows you personally. But that's not what he says. He says here, I know my sheep and am known by my own. Not only do I know them, they know me. They know me. That's not true of a goat. It's true of the sheep. They know him. And then he says this. My sheep hear my voice. It's a present tense verb. The video of their life is they are hearing the voice of Jesus and they are following, present tense, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They follow me. There are two brand marks that sheep have. They have a brand mark on their ear. They have a brand mark on their foot. They hear his voice and they are following him. So this is the video. They're hearing the voice of the shepherd. They're endeavoring to follow him. So we've looked in First John and we've seen that a Christian is like the moth. He loves the light. He's drawn to the light. But he's also like a sheep. He's like a sheep that hears the voice of his shepherd and he is following him. He's not a goat. She's not a goat. She's listening, hearing, and endeavoring to obey. It's just what sheep do. It's the nature of the sheep that has been trained by him. Now, let me say this. They don't do this perfectly. This video of their life is not perfectly always following after the Lord Jesus Christ and obeying every command. We fall short, and John tells us that. I'm writing this. I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, know this. We have a faithful Savior who forgives us our sins. We have an advocate with the Father. But the video of the life is showing that, overall, we want to follow Christ. We are endeavoring to live in obedience to him. And so the sheep are those who are hearing his voice, and not perfectly, but They are hearing it, and they are seeking to be obedient to him. And there's ups and downs. There are cold seasons. There's times their hearts can be hardened. But even then, they will hear the voice of their shepherd who is calling them back again, the father who is disciplining them for their good to bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. This is what it means to belong to Christ. And therefore, John is able to say that. By this we know that we know him. If we are those who are keeping his commandments, we're endeavoring to be obedient. Conversely, notice verse 4. He who says, I know him, a lot of people say that, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, John says he's, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. We've already seen John speak with this language. Those who say, They know God, and yet they're walking in darkness. They're a liar. Those who say they belong to Christ, and they're not walking in obedience and following after Christ, 
John says they are a liar. No matter what they may profess with their lips, their hearts have not been turned to Christ. They're unregenerate and they are under the wrath of God. And so there is a warning that is given here. Titus 1.16 says there are many who profess, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they are denying him. They profess, but by their deeds they are denying him. And then in verse 5 he reiterates, reiterates this point. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected. The idea of this is that it has been perfected in the past and it remains so today. God's love, God's work, God's grace in their heart has been perfected in them. And that's not going to change. It has been perfected. The love of God has been perfected in them. It has been accomplished. And again, these are the fingerprints of God's grace. And now John will sum this up in verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. The one that he says he abides in him, and Jesus uses that language, doesn't he, in John 15. There is the vine and there are the branches. And the branch that abides in the vine is bringing forth fruit, fruits of righteousness. And so the one who says... He abides in him, and John says it just makes sense that he ought to walk even as Jesus walked, even as he walked. The word here, ought, at least in my translation, is the word that is used of someone to owe money. Uh, Somebody owes money, they have a debt, and we have a debt to grace, we might say. If God has redeemed us and we belong to him, then we ought to walk just as Jesus walked. Doesn't that just make sense? If the son of glory would give his life for us and redeem us, would it not make sense that we would seek to be like him? And so the picture that we might see here is just as we think about a a father walking with his son on the beach. Maybe you've had this experience. You're walking down the beach and your son is behind you, your daughter's behind you, and they try to walk in your footsteps. What a beautiful picture. Now, they don't do it perfectly. They can't, you know, their feet don't fill up that footprint of yours, and they can't, they don't have the same stride that you have. But they're wanting to follow. They're wanting to follow in the path of their father. And so it is to those who belong to Christ. We say that we belong to him, that we know him, then we ought to walk even as he walks. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and he's given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. 1 Peter 2.21, for this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Going through trials, going through difficulties, suffering in some way. Jesus has left us an example that we would follow in his footsteps of faithfulness to our God, even when the days are hard and difficult. 
John 13, Jesus said this, as he had gotten up from the table and he got down on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. He says to them, I have left you an example of what it is to serve, what it is to give your life for others. Do as I have done unto you. And Paul captivates, or he, he, he speaks about that in Philippians 2, doesn't he? Let this mind be in you that was also in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think of others as more important than yourself. And remember Jesus, who humbled himself. He humbled himself and came into this world, and he served us. Let that mind be in you. Be like Christ. Obey the commands that Christ has given to you. As we think about the, the Great Commission in closing, the last words that Jesus gave as he is ascending back to his Father is known as the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. What an amazing statement. All power, all authority is mine. That's who we belong to if we're a believer. He has all authority over our life, all of our life. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. First command, baptize them. Secondly, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. This is what Christ calls of his people. This is what Christ calls of his disciples. To follow him. To submit the whole of our life. All of our life belongs to him. Every bit of it. Our body is his. Our mind is his. He commands us to observe everything that he has called us to. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify your Father who is in heaven with your body and with your soul. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you, do you have the marks of a sheep? Are you one who is hearing the voice of the shepherd? Is it the intent of your life to be obedient to him? to follow him wherever he leads you, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult it is. This is our Savior to whom all authority belongs, who calls us to heed his word. Does that describe you today? Does that describe you this week? Maybe you're a believer and you're, you're far from him today. He calls you to repent. He uses his word and spirit to do a work in our hearts and bring us back to himself. And we need to repent if that be the case. But maybe you're here. You're not a believer. You don't belong to Christ. This is not true of you. Well, Jesus has come into the world to save sinners just like you. And he says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you salvation. And I will make you a new creation.
Might you flee to him today? May we have ears today, I trust, to hear God's word, hear Christ speaking to us. May we be hearers of that word, and may we be doers of it for the glory of Christ who loved us, who gave himself for us. Let's stand, and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.